Welcome to the New Testament Daily with Jerry Dearman, where Jerry reads a chapter from the New Testament and gives us key insights and life applications along the way. For more information about the Solid Life Journal and reading plans, visit solidlives.com. And now, let's get into today's reading. This is the book of Revelation. It is not Revelations, it's Revelation. In fact, it's the revelation of Jesus Christ. So this is what it's about. It's about Jesus. This book is about Jesus. And so over the next few days, I'm going to give some introduction to the book. I don't want to put it all at the beginning here because it would just make this first chapter reading much too long. But I want to start with a few interesting points. And one is that this is the last book of the whole Bible, New Testament and the whole Bible, written. And it was written likely around uh, 96 AD. And so the Apostle John outlived all of the other of the 12 apostles of Jesus. And so he's writing this book. Most all of the other ones have been martyred already for the cause of Christ, which, by the way, is great evidence to the truth of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Why would you be killed over the story of the resurrection if it wasn't true? Only people that believed it was true would allow themselves to be killed to hold to the story. And so this is the revelation of Jesus Christ. You know, the great Messianic theologian and a friend of mine, Daniel Juster, he wrote in his book, Passover, the key to understanding revelation, he wrote seven parallels of Passover that are parallels in the book of Revelation. He believes that the Passover helps us to see seven major themes. And so I want to give you these because I believe that this will be helpful as we go through the book of Revelation. The first theme is the preparation of God's people for what was to come. Moses was sent to Pharaoh, yes, but he was sent to talk to the children of Israel to let them know what was about to happen, that God was going to deliver them, yes, but there was going to be a process. There was going to be a time of intense things happening between then and when they were actually delivered from Egypt. So the preparation of God's people. Second, the horrible plagues and judgment from God. Third, God's people being protected right in the middle of these judgments. Fourth, a satanically inspired ruler. Well, of course, back in the Passover, Pharaoh, but in the book of Revelation, the Antichrist. Five, the exodus from Egypt, paralleling to the rapture of the church. Six, the 10th plague and the drowning of Pharaoh's army as the ultimate wrath of God that is coming against the rulers of this world, including the Antichrist. And then seven, the entry into the eternal promised land and that paralleling with eternal life in Christ that the Lord's going to take us through this whole tribulation and the second coming is going to happen and we're going right into eternity with the Lord. I thought those seven parallels in Passover really help us 
to frame what's about to be read here in the book of Revelation. So this is very exciting. And let me just remind you that this is reading. We're reading through and talking through chapters of the Bible. This, unfortunately, is not going to be a full study of eschatology and the end times. And you can't help but hit some of that as we go through, though. And so I believe you'll be greatly benefited by this. Okay, here we go. Revelation chapter 1, the Apostle John writing, and he says this, The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants things which must shortly take place, which must shortly take place. So, well, shortly, you remember that through Peter, Peter said, remember this, that a day with the Lord is like a thousand years and a thousand years is as a day. So when we say shortly takes place, well, relatively, yes, <laughs> in the history of the world and, of course, eternity with God. But nonetheless, uh, these things if if you read through all the New Testament and you listen closely to the authors, you'll see that these authors believed that the second coming of Jesus could happen in their lifetime. They lived with that urgency. And I believe that this was this New Testament was written intentionally with that urgency because every generation, regardless whether Jesus did or will come to come in that generation. We should live as if his coming is imminent, as if it could come any time. Now, having said that, let me just tell you, based on the events of the world today, I really believe it is possible in our lifetimes, Jesus will come back and it could be very, very soon. So, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants, we are his servants, things which must, which must shortly take place. And he sent and signified it by his angel to his servant John, by his angel to his servant John. So this is how we know this is from the apostle John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ. Well, of course, John did walk with Jesus, and he was a witness of the testimony of Jesus Christ to all things that he saw. Verse 3, Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it for the time is near. So we're blessed by reading it, but we're blessed by reading it and keeping the things that are written in it. It's not good enough just to read it, but not to keep the instructions and the commandments that are written in this book. And he says, for the time is near, for the time is near. Well, let me tell you, it, it's a whole lot more near today than it was when John originally penned these words. Verse four, John to the seven churches which are in Asia. So notice that we're going to get into in the next couple of chapters, Jesus speaking to these seven churches and specifically writing to each of the seven churches words that he wants to say. But notice John is writing this book of Revelation, capturing what he experienced and what God showed him. But he's writing and sending this to these seven churches because these seven churches are under, uh, the early church fathers tell us, under his apostolic responsibility 
and authority. So he's writing to them to tell them what he is now seeing and what God has shown him will come to pass. He goes on in verse four to say grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before the throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness. Jesus was faithful to come and to speak truth to us in his earthly ministry. Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead. What does that mean? Well, he's not the only born from the dead because all of us were spiritually dead. And when we got born again by the blood of Jesus, well, we were also reborn from the dead. Well, when Jesus was, he took on our sin and died with it as if he was a sinner, though he was not, but he took it on and died. So when God raised him from the death, uh, from the dead and raised him from the death caused by our sin, he was the firstborn raised from the dead because of sin. And then when we get born again, well, now we're in essence, the second born, third born and such. In one sense, we're in Christ. So we're inside the firstborn and we have the inheritance of the firstborn in Jesus. In another sense, his resurrection was the precursor to our own spiritual resurrections when we get born again. So uh, John calls him here, the Holy Spirit, we should say, through the apostle John calls Jesus the firstborn from the dead and the ruler over the kings of the earth. Make no mistake about it. I mean, we may see kings and presidents and prime ministers and rulers and uh, tribal leaders or whoever that think they have all kinds of authority. And John just says, look, Jesus is the ruler over all the kings, all the leaders on the earth. To him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood and has made us kings and priests. Some translations, a kingdom of priests, kings and priests to his God and father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. So John, I mean, just sets the tone and says, look, this Jesus, the anointed one, the Messiah, the Christ, he is the one with his own precious blood who has washed us from our sins, who has brought us into spiritual life, brought us into the family of God, into relationship, made us kings and priests unto Father God, praise God. To him be glory and dominion forever. John said, let's just make this clear. We are nothing without him. Without him, we can do nothing. It is Jesus who came and saved us and has made us something, has given us status in the kingdom of God. So therefore, to him be glory and dominion forever. Verse 7. Behold, he is coming with clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. Well, who was that that pierced him? Well, of course, the Romans did, but also the, the Jewish leaders who turned him over to the Romans and demanded that he be crucified. Behold, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of him. Every tribe, not just nations, every tribe will mourn because of him. Even so, amen. So John is saying, look, uh, he was mistreated here. He died. He was raised from the dead and he ascended back to the father. But let me tell you, he's coming with the clouds. Now, you remember in the Gospels, the Bible tells us that, uh, in fact, Jesus himself in Matthew 24, he said, uh, don't be deceived about the second coming. 
Because as the lightning shines from the east and flashes all the way to the west, so will the coming of the Son of Man be. In other words, everybody will see that this is happening. This is not just going to be like his birth in Bethlehem, where a star had to tip off uh, the wise men or the magi, and angels had to tip off the shepherds, and nobody else knew what was happening. No, this is going to be an all-eyes watching event and people are going to see oh my goodness and the tribes are going to mourn why because they didn't expect that he really was the son of god and they were not serving him they're going to mourn that this is happening verse 8 jesus begins to speak i am the alpha and the omega the beginning and the end says the lord who is and who was and who is to come the almighty so this is uh, John quoting directly from what Jesus said, I'm the Alpha. That's the first uh, Greek letter in the Greek alphabet. I am the Omega. That's the last Greek letter. This would be like A to Z. I am the A, I am the Z. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning, the end, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Verse 9, I, John, both your brother and companion, notice this, in the tribulation, in the tribulation. Well, there is coming a tribulation period, a seven-year tribulation period at the end of the age before the second coming of the Lord. But notice John says, I'm already your brother in the tribulation. The tribulation has been going on since the church was birthed, the persecutions that happened. You read, for example, in the seventh and eighth chapters of the book of Acts, you'll see, man, persecution hit the church shortly after its birth. And of course, Jesus was persecuted and eventually crucified, wasn't he? And so John says, your brother and companion in the tribulation. Now, why would he say that? Well, John is on the island of Patmos writing this. He's a prisoner there because of his ministry and because of his preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I, John, your brother and companion in the tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ was on the island that is called Patmos for the word of God, because of the preaching of the word of God, for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. So I'm here as a prisoner. And so I, he's under tribulation. Now, let me just make this comment. Some of us as Westerners, and particularly, uh, I, maybe I should say, including those of us in the United States who have not had almost any persecution to speak of whatsoever, our perspective of reading through the New Testament times and even the Old Testament is somewhat skewed because we tend to think that they lived lives more like us. But there was so much persecution happening. So they were writing from a whole different context than what most of us or many of us have lived. Verse 10, he said, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet. Notice I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard. I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I, I heard. We need to be in the spirit realm. We need to be praying in the spirit. We need to be uh, getting our mind on 
on things above and on the Lord so that we can hear from God. We're so distracted with this natural world. So John said, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me. And of course, this was special, a special revelation. I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet saying, I am the alpha and the omega, the first and the last. And what you see right in a book. So right off the bat, Jesus is telling them, I'm going to show you some things and I need you to write those in a book. Well, it turns out to be the book of Revelation. Thank God that John wrote this. Write in a book and send to the seven churches which are in Asia. Well, that's exactly what he said he's doing earlier in verse 4. He said, write to these churches which are in Asia. And this would be Asia Minor, by the way. This would be in modern day Turkey to Ephesus and Smyrna, to Pergamos, to Thyatira and Sardis, to Philadelphia and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the feet and girded about the chest with a gold band. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow." And his eyes like a flame of fire, his feet were like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. He had in his right hand seven stars out of his mouth went seven excuse me, out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying to me, do not be afraid. Now listen, John walked around with Jesus for three to three and a half years. But here, when he saw Jesus in his uh, glorious I mean, like his second coming, majesty. Oh, it was overwhelming to John, who would walk with Jesus on a daily basis and was not, based on Isaiah's prophecy, was not all that impressed with Jesus' appearance in those days. But oh, I tell you now, when he saw Jesus in this state, this glorious, majestic state, oh, he fell down like he was dead. I mean, this was overwhelming to him, the majesty of the Lord Jesus Christ. But Jesus laid his hand on me, he said, saying, do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. He'll never die again. Forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and of death. In other words, nobody controls Hades anymore. Nobody controls death anymore but me. Verse 19, write the things which you have seen and the things which are, watch this, and the things which will take place after this. I want you to write the things you have seen, the things that are currently happening, and the things that will take place after this. Verse 20, the mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands which you saw are the seven churches. So notice Two of the things that John saw, Jesus has just now given us clarity on what they mean. The seven stars in my right hand are seven angels. The seven lampstands, which you saw, 
are the seven churches. So we have seven angels of seven churches. And in chapter two, I'll give you more explanation of what these two mean, because they're going to be relevant for chapters two and three. Well, we're going to read this devotionally, this book of Revelation, and we're going to pick out the things that are relevant to us, and we will indeed get into some eschatological things, some end times interpretation, but we'll only be able to go as deep as we can in the time that's allotted for us. But uh, the book of Revelation is not just to understand the end times. The book of Revelation is to prepare us, the church, to be ready for those things which are to come and to keep ourselves pure before the Lord and to also to help us to see the reality of heaven, the reality of our creator God and of his kingdom. These things are so real. They're invisible to our natural eyes, but they're so real and we should live our lives every day as if they are indeed real. Praise God. Lord, I thank you for this book. Help us as we go along to continue to understand more and more of it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining us for the New Testament Daily with Jerry Dearman. And thank you to those of you who have partnered with Solid Lives to help get this daily podcast and other resources like it to thousands of people around the world. If you would like to partner with Solid Lives, visit solidlives.com give. To find out more about the ministry of Solid Lives, how you can be a part of this church planting and disciple making movement, or for more great teachings and resources by Jerry, visit solidlives.com. We also want to invite you to check out Jerry's other podcast called The Jerry Dearman Podcast. Here, Jerry shares with us at least weekly from God's Word, challenging us and equipping us to fulfill the amazing plan that God has for our lives. You can find links to this podcast as well as Jerry's YouTube channel online at solidlives.com. Thank you again so much for joining us, and we'll see you right here tomorrow as we jump into the New Testament Daily with Jerry Dearman.